Psalm 100 and verse 2. Just one quick scripture from there. Psalm 100 and verse 2, the Bible reads, is so serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And then Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, you don't really have to turn there. I'll just kind of kind of paraphrase. Uh, Deuteronomy 28 is the chapter where you get all the blessings, you know, to the people of Israel, like you're blessed in the city and blessed in the field and blessed when you come in and come out. I, I know you guys thought that was a Fred Hammond song, but it's it's actually in the, in the scripture. And uh, one of the deals that you find there is that um, towards the end of that chapter, you know, there are the same amount of, for every blessing, there is also a curse. And of course, you don't ever hear songs on that. You know, no one writes songs on the curses. But uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, this is the reason why you'll have the curses. He said, they, these curses will come upon you and they will pursue you and overtake you until you're destroyed because you didn't hear unto the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be a, a, unto you for a sign and a wonder and upon your seed forever. And then this is the ultimate reason why there's going to be all these signs and all these curses will come upon you. He says the ultimate reason why is because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. So obviously God wants his people to serve him, but he doesn't just want you to serve him. He wants you to serve with joy. He wants you to serve with gladness. And so that's what I want to speak to you on here uh, this afternoon. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Father, we pray. We love you. We are excited to be in the house of the Lord and to hear your word. I pray, oh God, that you would anoint my lips that I may speak as the oracle of God and that I may speak the oracles of God uh, to your people and that they will hear and not only hear that they will appropriate, listen, and then that they would manifest what they hear in their everyday actions. Jesus, I pray, O oh God, that you would fill us here with knowledge from above and a wisdom to understand why and what and where of your word and what you want us to understand through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you. In reading the Bible, one of the things that you will notice over and over again is that the people of God are not merely asked to serve God. They are commanded to serve their God. Hebrews 9.14 informs us that God has purged our conscience from dead works that we may serve the Lord. That's, that's why our conscience has been purged from dead works. Our old life has been done away with that we may serve the Lord. Service. So service to God should be done out of our knowledge that he made us. And as creator, he has a right to be served by creation. In some modern theological circles, 
some have expressed that you can be saved by accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. That is one who redeems you from danger, but you don't have to accept him as Lord. That is one whose rules you must abide by and whose commandments you must follow after. But the problem with that kind of theology is that you negate the very fundamental confession of faith that one makes to ingress into the Christian faith. Because Paul said that you must confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and then you shall be saved. That's what Paul said. So at the very outset of our Christian experience, we just don't confess Jesus Christ as our Savior. Uh, you know, we just don't go out there and then, oh, well, I, I receive it. He's my Savior. I believe what he says and then go out and do the same old things. You have got to behave as though he is your Savior because he has become your Lord, one whose rules and commandments you must abide by. And in that train of thought, many in Scripture were called the servants of God. The patriarchs were all called the servants of God. Moses and David, the people of Israel. Job, you know, God said of Job, have you not considered my servant Job? And then in the New Testament, you have Peter and Paul and James, and they all call themselves the servants of Christ. And, uh, you know, when Paul called himself a servant of God, we have oftentimes softened that word up in our generation to make it a little more palatable to you know to our society and stuff and so what we've done is we translated it uh and that's not ghetto by the way that's the way translated it that's that's just the way that's the way it, it goes Tra we have translated it uh, to to mean uh, servant or to say servant but really what it, the, the Greek definition of the word is actually slave he was saying I'm not just a servant of God I am the slave of God by definition a slave is someone who is owned by someone else and so Paul conveys a message by calling himself a slave to God as someone who does not own himself, but, but someone who belongs to God. And he himself was the one that said that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And it was given to us by God. Henceforth, it is not our own. Be, be, before you go changing your body, you must ask the owner of your body whether it's okay to change your body or not. That's just, uh, I just threw that in there. But, but, but Paul said, it is not our own. It does not belong to you. It was given to you by God. That's what it says. And why doesn't it belong to you? Because, Paul said, we have been paid. We have been bought with a price. That's what he said. Because we have been bought. And with the imagery he's trying to give out is in those days, you know, in the marketplace, in those days, slaves were bought in the marketplace. I mean, out in the open. It wasn't even a shame to buy a slave. You went down to the marketplace in, in Palestine or wherever, you know, in the old world and, you 
you know, you'd go out and say, can I get some tomatoes? Can I get a little lettuce? Can I get a slave? Can I get some celery, please? I mean, that's just the way it was back in the days, you know? And so that's the imagery that he's trying to give you. He's saying, look, we have been bought with a price. God came down, down to the marketplace and our former owner, sin, we were slaves unto sin before. Remember that? He said, our former owner said, Whoo, I wish somebody would take him from me, but the, the, the price is too high. But Jesus came by and said, whoa, I've got something I can give you. I'll give you my life. I'll give you blood. I, I, I'll pay the price. What, what's the price I can pay for them? And now you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God because he paid a price for you. He paid a price and he has now owned you. But, you know, now I've, I've just, okay, so now we've got to serve God, right? And we are slaves to God and we provide service to him. But here is the question and here's the problem. The problem is that, well, um, if you know anybody that's been a slave before, and uh, hopefully none of you have, or if you have family that's been slaves before, or if you know a little history, you will find out that uh, people who are slaves, they, they, they serve. Yes, they serve, but they serve out of resentment and bitterness. I mean, slavery is not for the faint of heart, right? People who are forced to serve uh, or have people who have ancestors that were slaves usually hold some level of resentment in their heart. And why? Because servitude of slavery is, is, is tough work. And to serve another usually requires a great deal of work with very little recognition, if any at all. And one, one, when one thinks of slavery, one thinks of long hours, hard labor, little sleep, little privacy, complete obedience, hard, you know, great sacrifice. And notice that the words Fun and recreation are nowhere to be found on that list. They didn't go to Disneyland. They didn't have, you know, they, they were slaves. And so slaves have recorded in their diaries that those who were fortunate enough to read and write, they, they recorded that they worked up to 20-hour workdays. They slept in uncomfortable cots. They ate leftovers. They were being eat, beaten when they did something wrong. They were treated like animals. They were verbally, physically, mentally, and sexually abused. They could not in any way, shape, or form, unless they were serving, come to the actual master's house. They had their own den, their own place at the plantation where they lived they used their restroom they i mean it was just they had their own bedrooms they could not and so service this kind of environment is not conducive to happiness and contentment right i mean it's 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 not conducive to to doing it and and doing it with gladness so usually servants are obedient because they're slaves but they do it out of a heart uh, full of resentment they do it begrudgingly and they don't work out of love they don't work with compassion but with ill feelings towards their master and so now the question becomes if this is what serving implies then why in the world does God want me to serve him why would I want to serve God and furthermore why does he require that I serve him with gladness 
goodness. I mean, if service is all work and no play, if service is all about hard work and labor and sweating and, and, and sacrifice and no record, why in the world would I want to serve God? Why would I want to put myself in a situation where I will have resentment and bitterness towards God? And this is the answer to that question. The answer is because serving our master is very different than serving any other master in the world. See, the reason he asks you to serve him and he says, serve me with gladness is because he said, wait, 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 I'm not like any other master. And serving in my household, serving in my vineyard is not like serving in any other vineyard. Let me explain to you. See, every other master would force you into their household. They would, they would make you go in. They would push you in there and force you to work. But not our master. He invites you into his household. He said, listen, it is a privilege to work in my household. It's by invitation only. You can't come in unless the spirit of the Lord draws you. You can't even get here. This, this is not something you say. And see, other masters, they say you don't have a choice in the matter. But our master said, uh -uh, whosoever will, let him come and let him drink. Other masters, they're motivated by a power trip. So they say, look, you've got to do what I say, and you've got to do it right now because this is how I said it, and this is why I said it, and it doesn't matter. I'm not giving you any explanations. This is what you have to do. But our master, uh, he's already all-powerful, and he knows he's all-powerful. He doesn't need you to tell him he's powerful to prove to him that he's powerful. I mean, the men that said, let there be light and there was light and call things that are not as though they were that man he knows he's all powerful they call him omnipotent which means he's got all power at all times he is all powerful so he is not motivated by power when he commands you to serve him he is motivated by love and he says if you love me then keep my commandments if you love me my commandments are not grievous they're not burdensome to you I'm motivated by love my God oh the masters other masters the work at their homes is taxing but our God he says no 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 wait 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 a second you see there's no rest at other masters home there's just work but our master said come unto me those who are weary and heavy laden and when you come to my vineyard I will give you rest Whoa, that's the difference. I'm going to give you rest. Amen. He said, in my presence, there is fullness of joy. And at my right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. See, other masters, they don't leave their homes of comfort. They don't leave their homes of pleasure to be with mere servants at the den. They don't leave their homes and their mansion. But our master was in the form of God. And he thought it not robbery 
to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. And listen to this, and took upon himself the form of a servant. That's what the Bible says. In other words, he pressed down on the elevator. He put on a servant's uniform. And he came down to say, you don't have a high priest that does not know what you go through. But you have one that was just like you, was tempted in all things, had trials just like you. I was robed in flesh like that because it behooved the captain of our salvation that he would be flesh and blood like his brothers. He was the firstborn among many brethren. He said, I'm going to become like you, mere servants. That's what I'm going to become. That is what it's like to serve our master. So now he says, when you serve me, it's not taxing. It is not a problem. It is not a penalty. It is not a payment. It is not work. To serve me ought to be joyful and you ought to be glad that you get the privilege. You ought to be glad that you got an invitation to come serve me. Now, I've got another question I need to ask and I'm full of questions here today. Why do you think our master invites you to serve him, but does not force you to serve him? Can I tell you why? And listen, you might get your feelings hurt when I say this. All right? I know some of you came to the house of the Lord, of the Lord here uh, this afternoon because you want to be raised up. But I might bring you down just a little, all right, just, just a tiny bit. Here's the answer why. Because God. God does not need you. He doesn't force you to serve him. He invites you to serve him because he doesn't need you. That, that is a very humiliating revelation. I want to be needed. I mean, you know, my sons don't need me. My wife doesn't need me. I need somebody to need me. You know, every time I try to tie my kids' shoes, no, Dad, I could do it all by myself. <clears throat> and so I want some, somebody, please, need me. And then God comes around and goes, hmm, I'm all God. I don't need you. See, let me make it perfectly clear. We don't serve God because he needs anything. He is all-sufficient. And he is self-sufficient. And we need to pro proclaim the doctrine of God's self-sufficiency. God is self-sufficient. This is what Paul told his hearers at Mars Hill. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served served. He's not served. He is not worshipped by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath. And if, did you hear what he said? He said he is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. 
he, you don't serve him because he needs anything. You don't worship him because he needs it. See, our God is not served. He's not worshiped. He's not praised by man's hands. We need to get it resolved in our heads that God doesn't need our service. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our offering. He doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need our thanksgiving. He doesn't need any of that stuff. He was God way before you worshiped him. And if you decide here this afternoon, if you decide, you know what, I'm not going to clap my hands. I'm not going to sing the song. I'm not going to shout. I'm not, I'm not going to follow along with the service. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to put my fingers in my ears. I'm not going to hear one more word of this thing that's being said, and I'm going to leave. As a matter of fact, we hope you don't, but if you leave this place and say, I'm going to backslide and never come back, honey, we want you to stay. But I, I've got news for you. God is not going to stop being God because you decided not not to worship him. He will always be God. He does not need you. In Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the Pharisees, they had a big problem, right, with the people's acclamation of praise. So they went over and they urged Jesus. They said, stop the people from shouting their messianic chants please we can't deal with it and what did jesus respond you know what jesus responded he said oh i tell you that if these should hold their peace immediately the stones would cry out do you know what he was saying in essence he was saying listen pharisees um, i'm gonna get worship with or without them you better get used to it. I'm going to get worship whether they open their mouths or not. That's not the, I mean, I'm going to get praised. I'm going to get worship whether they decide that that's what they want to do or not. That's what I'm going to get. I'm going to get worship. And he said, they're not indispensable. They're not irreplaceable. He said, listen, they're just another, uh, they're just another instrument in my world, but I'm going to get worship. I'll get worship. If they don't worship me, I'll get worship from somewhere else. And for those, let me tell you something, honey, you don't serve an insecure God who's looking over his shoulder, worried about whether today he's worthy or not. Right? You don't serve. He doesn't think he's ugly if people don't notice his existence. He doesn't wake up in the morning asking for the latest numbers in the popularity poll. He doesn't go, am I still God? Angel, could you tell me, could you go down there and see what the latest poll results are? Am I still God or what? Am I in two years? Are they, they going to vote me out? Do I have to campaign? Do I, what, what do I have to do to get my name out there? Man, your God is a bad God. He knows he is an awesome God and he knows he is worthy. Baby, the fact of the matter is that God is worthy whether you choose to recognize it or not because his worthiness is not dependent on your reaction. God have mercy. His worthiness is not dependent on your praise. His worthiness is not dependent on your service. His worthiness is not dependent on your worship or your giving. His worthiness is intrinsic. Do you know what that means? It means by virtue of his existence, he is worthy. If the whole world turned their back on God and walked out, and if the whole world decided we're going to declare, we're, we're going to, we're you know, we're not going 
going to work. We're not going to labor. We're not going to service. We're not, we're not going to worship. God will still be God. As a matter of fact, if you decide this afternoon that you don't want to worship or praise, if you decide this afternoon, well, I don't want to clap my hands and I don't want to shout and I don't want to do all the other stuff that all the other people do, you know, God says, hey, uh, psalmist, kick it old school. And then the psalmist get up, gets up and says, all right, let me, uh, let me start out. In 148, his psalm, 148, he says, praise ye him because God says, oh, you don't want to worship me? I've got options. And so the psalmist goes, praise ye him, all his angels. And he said, oh, you still don't want to work? That, that's all right. Praise ye him, all his hosts. And then he said, oh, you still don't believe me. I've got options, baby. He says, praise ye him, sun and moon. He says, whoa, that's not it. Praise ye him, all ye stars of light. And then he said, praise him, ye heavens of heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all the deep and fire and hail and snow and vapor and stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and hills and fruitful trees trees and all cedars beasts and cattle creeping things and flying fowl everything that hath breath can praise the Lord can I tell you God has options I want you to think about this for a second how do you propose to give anything to a God that has the cattle on a thousand hills how do you propose to give anything to a God to who says the silver and gold are mine? How do you pay a God who gives you the strength to make wealth in the first place? How do you serve a God? Do you really think that if you didn't give to God that he would have to foreclose on heaven? That he's declaring bankruptcy if, well, my people didn't give to me. Do you really think that that kind of that that's our kind of God. Our God is self-sufficient, and that's why He doesn't force you to serve Him. He doesn't need you. Don't you get it? If the whole world turned their back on God, He'd still be. Listen, that's why Psalms fifty twelve. That's why He says, "If I were hungry, I would not tell you." You know why? He said, "Because the world is mine, and the fullness thereof." He said, I wouldn't even tell you if I was hungry. So now we've got to understand this. And this is something that I need you to get. And this is it. It is a condescendence for the creator of the universe who is clothed in majesty, who is sublime beyond our wildest imagination, for whom the Bible says the heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool, whose holiness transcends human comprehension. It is a condescendence for that God to allow us, his creation, mere sinners to serve him. It's a condescendence to God. It would be the equivalent of like Beethoven coming over and saying, hey, bro, could you help me with my music? Could you imagine that? 
It'd be the equivalent of Michelangelo asking for help with any of his masterpieces. You know, come on down, man. I, I, I really need help with the brush stroke here. What in the world could I offer any of these guys? And so now I have another question yet. If God doesn't need me to serve him, if God does not need me at all, if God is that sublime that he doesn't need us at all, then why in the world does he ask us to serve him? I mean, if you could do it yourself, then, you know, I'm, I don't want to be blasphemous or anything. I just, but if you could do it yourself, then why not just do it yourself? And the only logical answer that I could give you, I'm going to give it to you in a way of illustration. See, a couple years back, my son was about four, Micah, and um, and we were sitting in the living room uh, as a family. And my wife, let me tell you, my wife is the world's greatest cookie baker. I will put my wife versus your grandmother anytime. <laughs> Bake off. Anytime. Anytime any place i will bring my wife in here you wheel your grandmother in here we will <laughs> there will be a bake-off and one night we were uh in the living room and then uh my wife came uh my kids and i were in the living room my wife came down and uh she said i'm gonna make some cookies and my cup runneth over whenever, you know, I hear those words. Really excited about that. And then uh, not not very many things make me happy in life. But when, sh you know, I can be honest here. I don't know if I can be. But, but my wife making cookies, that really makes me happy. And so she said that and... Um, and then the next words out of her mouth really shocked me and brought a sense of sadness to me because she went, Micah, son, would you like to help mommy? And, you know, he's four. And I looked over at him and I said, you stay right there, boy. You don't, I don't like people messing with my cookies, you know, raisins all off and stuff i i need stuff to be you know just like the master makes them i mean i like the way she makes them and so i'm telling him sit right there but i looked over at micah and micah had the biggest glow on his face he had a smile and he said sure and he walked by me and he went hmm And then I, I looked over at Caleb, and Caleb, he's, you know, he's uh, probably six at the time, and he's got that look on his face like, why didn't she ask me, you know? And then Micah goes over and looks at Caleb and goes, hmm. 
He walks over and he's got the greatest smile on his face and I see him and he's, you know, mixing stuff and and he's got oil and eggs and whatever you put. I don't know. I don't have the slightest clue as to what you put into. I'm, I mean, I'm a great chef. I, I'll uh, I'll give you a rash, but I'm a great chef. <laughs> I can make a great bologna and Swiss cheese sandwich. Y'all don't know about that. You put it in the little pot, and then the, the bologna just pops up in the center after you. <laughs> you don't know about that. Then you got to cut it over on the side. And anyway, so I, uh, here I, I am, and I'm, I'm looking over, and here's Micah, big old smile on his face, and he's, you know, he's, and, and there's more raisins on the wall, and on his shirt than there actually is on it but he's mixing and he's going about and he's got a smile and they're tickling each other and laughing and Caleb's looking over and he's jealous and I'm looking over and I'm irate because you know this poor boy is gonna make my 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 great cookies into a smiley face I need I need real cookies you know from the master's hands and I noticed and so here goes the revelation. This is what I'm trying to explain to you. It was a condescendence for the world's greatest cookie maker to ask my four-year-old son to come and serve her because what does he have to offer the world's greatest cookie maker? What? does he have that he can bring to the table to say I can offer this and I can offer that and I can do this and I can do that she was the best way before he got there and here's the answer because the benefit was not to be hers the benefit was his. The reason why my wife asked my son to come serve her, it's not because she was had anything to offer her. It's because she knew that innately inside of that little boy, there is something inside that says, I love to be around my mother. I love to feel like I'm needed. I love to be at service in her presence. And there's so much joy that I get from working beside her and having something to do. That's where I find my purpose. That, there's something normal about this. There's something that makes me happy. When I was chosen above everybody else that's around me and I come down and I could work with my mother see the benefit wasn't hers it was her love and mercy that allowed him to have a time around her not because she was going to benefit lord knows she was probably looking by going i would have done it this way or i could have done it or you don't know what you're doing and come on you've got lord knows it's a whole lot more trouble for her but the reason she was asked 
asking him is because she knew how much love she was bestowing on him by allowing him to come and serve her. And can, can I explain this to you? God, in like manner, he asks you to serve him, not because of anything you can offer him. What can I offer the God of creation? What do I have that he would have need of? He needs nothing. He is God all by himself. But has it ever occurred to you that there are 8 billion people in this world and whole countries that have never heard the name Jesus? And the God that doesn't need you, the God that could have chosen anybody, asked you to come serve him. Whew. Let me tell you something. I go around, right, and I, I speak to a lot of pastor's kids nowadays. I don't know why. I think they think I am the pastor's kids whisperer. So... <coughs> I go around and I, I speak to pastor's kids because, you know, I grew up a pastor's kid. So here they are, and I get to them, and they're going, you know, it's just I didn't choose this. Nobody, no one asked me if I wanted to be a pastor's kid. This is just how it was, and it's just not fair. And, you know, and I mean, literally, this is besides the point, but literally, I mean, you know, last year I had to go behind a 7-Eleven at midnight to find one of our pastor's kids, right? I won't mention any names, but he was out there behind a 7-Eleven sleeping behind a 7-Eleven at midnight with a beautiful home just five miles away because it just got to him. There's just so much pressure, so much, and, and I just can't deal with it. And we live in a glass house, and everyone judges us, and everyone's out there, and hey, we're just human, and, you know, all this stuff. So as the pastor's kids whisper that I am, I, I sat next to him there at the 7-Eleven, and, uh, and I talked to him. And I said, hey, bro, I said, listen. I was raised, I was born a pastor's kid, and I was born a pastor's kid in a day and age where you didn't have options. Because nowadays, parents ask you, are you going to church? Do you want to go to church? Back when I was growing up, you didn't have options. You either went to church or you got beat down. My my mother's last name was Kruger. Don't know why, but <laughs> you got a beat down. So uh, w that's, you know, we, we just, that's all we did, and that's all we knew. So I said, look, that's how I was raised. You know, I remember one time, nowadays you can't spank kids, right? But when I was growing up, let me tell you a little story about my mom. My mom, before she, she talked to me. While she was, you know, reaching out for the belt in the closet, she would talk to me. And so she talked to me. She doesn't know a lick of English, right? So she's out there. So I'm going to try to, you know, she's out there in the closet. She's like, you know, they tell me that you, that nowadays, that they throwing parents in jail. 
I'm out, you know, she's out there. They, they, you know, she's going, they're telling me they're throwing parents in jail for spanking their kids while she's getting the belt. You know, she's. <laughs> and she would actually bring the phone to me. She said, by the time I'm done, you're going to have to call. And she said, and if they're putting him in jail, she told me, I'll never forget this as long as I, she would tell me this. She'd say, by the time I'm done with you, they're going to throw me in Alcatraz. That's where they're going to put me. My God, if you didn't choose to be a Christian back in those days, I mean, it wasn't after I was like 28 that I actually came to faith in Jesus Christ for, my, for myself. I was just feared into the house of the Lord and. But it was, it, it was, uh, it, it, you know, here I was, and I was next, to, and I said, bro, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I was born like this, too. I said, uh, has it ever occurred to you that out of 8 billion people in this world, God could have chosen anybody to serve him? God could have chosen anybody to be there are whole countries that have never heard the name Jesus, and God could have chosen anybody to live in a pastor's in a pastor's home, but He chose you. He chose you. Now, ask I ask you, why did He choose you? Is there anything that you have that you have to offer that is of any consequence? Are you any bigger or any better than any other you know person? That how about those kids that grew up in a whore's house? How about those kids in an adoption center right now whose parents left them? Are you any better than them? Could you have offered anything better? Of course not. But he chose you to be born in a home where your mother woke you up, woke you up in the morning and said, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, who standeth not in the way of the sinner, who sitteth not in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Could you imagine that? That God in his mercy would choose you to be born into this household. Don't you get it? That God does not need you. He doesn't need me. And I was telling him, I said, don't you get it? Don't you get it that there are people right now in crack houses, even as I speak right now, there are people in crack houses that can speak 20 times better than I can. That'll preach this house on fire and, 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 and are able with their words and their talents and their gifting to do stuff. People you know that have left and are right now strung out on drugs, right now getting over their hangover from last night, who can do 20 times better than you and I can. I said, don't you get it? God doesn't need me. And the God who said, let there be light and there was light, could just as easily, just as easily call out and say, hey, you crackhead, come out of the corner. Get into the house of God. I'm going to clean you up instantly. You're the next evangelist. You're the next pastor of this church. You're the next missionary. You're the next Sunday school director. I mean, he could do it. And yet, yet, he did not choose them. He chose you. 
Why? Why did he choose you? You, you want to know the answer why? Because he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. I don't understand what the criteria for mercy is. I don't understand why. I don't understand what. All I know is he had mercy on me. He asked me to come serve him. I go around and speak. I go around and preach. I may not be the richest person in the world. I may not be rich at all. I may not have money at all. I may be the poor. But he chose me. I may not be the most eloquent person in the world. I must not be the greatest preacher in the world. But he chose me. And that's why he says, now, I want you to come down and serve me. But don't just serve me. Serve me with joy. Serve me with gladness. Out of a heart of thanksgiving. God and so as I close here the question is why is it we have to beg why is it we have to implore why is it we have to ask and please and, and please and tug and push and pull for someone to please come and be an usher someone please come out and do Sunday school someone please come and do outreach someone please come to prayer someone please do life groups someone please serve the Lord and we don't get it it's like we're doing God a favor it's like we're coming out here and go ah I have to come to choir practice again I have to go to service again I have to give again I have to worship again I have to serve again and God is going hold up homeboy I don't need you I didn't ask you because I need anything I'm asking you because I'm bestowing mercy upon you. I'm giving you the opportunity to come and serve me. I'm giving you the opportunity to come and work for me. So when I get you into the house of God, when you come, you ought to come not praise him for something, but praise him because he's been way too good to you. My God, have mercy. I don't care how bad it is. The fact that he chose you, the fact that he's asked you to come into his household is enough reason to get you to have some joy and have some gladness and be glad about service. Why do I preach? Why do I leave home every weekend? Why do I minister? I'll tell you why. He chose me. He chose chose me when he didn't need me he chose me God have mercy. You ought to walk around. You ought to walk around on your streets, uh, down in your neighborhood, uh, not with a pride, but with a godly pride. You ought to walk around going, I know you're better. I know you have more money. I know you may be more eloquent. I know you may be more adamant than me in some areas, and, and, and you're more useful in other areas. But, oh, my goodness, in his mercy and in his love, he chose me. He drew me. He talked to me. He has called me to come and serve him. And now I'm going to serve him with thanksgiving. Don't you 
realize uh, if you ever decide to turn your back on God, uh, he's got options. Uh, he got, he's got thousands of ministers, thousands of young men, uh, thousands of ladies uh, that are willing to take your place. Uh, God has options, uh, but in his mercy, uh, in his love, uh, in his goodness, uh, in his gentleness towards us, uh, he asked me, he chose me, he talked to me. God, musicians can come up. Let me tell you something. You see people waking up on the Lord's day. I just don't get this. You see people waking up on the Lord's day without a joy in their heart, without a song in their lips, without a pep in their step, without a fire in their belly. They groan because of service. It's just too late. It's just too long. Or it just isn't early enough. As if the worship service uh, once a week uh, was an inconvenience uh, to their day. Uh, you see people, they get to serve God, uh, but they serve him begrudgingly. Uh, they serve him uh, out of duty. Uh, they serve him because they have to. Uh, I submit to you, God doesn't want a people to serve him with resentment and serve him with bitterness. Uh, God wants us to love uh, being a part uh, of his household. Uh, serving God it shouldn't be taxing serving God it should not be a penalty it's not a penalty it's not a payment it's not a problem it is a privilege oh God and by virtue of divine selection, I was chosen to live this way. Let me tell you something about my life. I'm 35 years old. I was born into this thing. Got the Holy Ghost when I was six. Baptized when I was 10. I have never smoked a cigarette in my life. Never tasted alcohol in my life. I'm not saying that's a glory in myself. I'm still the chiefest of all sinners. But the the reason I'm telling you this is uh, because he gets sweeter uh, as the days go by. Uh, there is not an ounce, uh, there is not an ounce of interest. Uh, I'm not interested uh, in going back. Uh, he is the love of my life. Uh, he is everything to me. Uh, I love serving God uh, and I will serve him uh, with gladness. God, you got to get that through your head. Serving God is not boring. Serving God is not lackluster. Serving God is not dull. It's not dragging. It's not deadening. Uh, serving God is not lacking interest. Uh, serving God is not uneventful. Uh, you ought to come to the house of God. Uh, and the Bible said, enter his gates uh, with what? with thanksgiving uh, and come into his courts with praise uh, be thankful unto him uh, my god you ought to wake up on sundays and say this is the day that the lord hath made 
whoa, you ought to high five somebody and say, my God, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I was a wretch, then he found me. I was blind, but now I see. Look at me now. God chose me even when he didn't need me. I'm going to serve him with gladness. I don't understand how there are people who have been serving God 20, 30, 40, and 50 years and they still can't crack a smile. But And guess what? The youngsters that are coming up, youth group that is coming up, and those who have just been, you know, just gave their life to Jesus Christ, they're looking over at you and they're going, is that what I have to look forward to? You've been serving the Lord 30 years, and you still come to church, fold your arms, chew on your gum, you know, looking at the clock, talking about when is this thing going to be done, and analyzing every single word the preacher preaches, and, you know, you're just in, in that kind of attitude, and then you've got some young, young buck who just gave their life to Jesus Christ, excited out of their mind, coming in here, they're looking over, they're going, is that what you look like after 20, 30, and 40 years? Is that what you turn into after 40 years of serving God? My God, the devil is a liar. I've been serving him. I wish I had a witness in this church. I've been serving the Lord a very long time. And I've got news for you, Satan. There is not an ounce of interest for me to go back to go see what's out there. I've been serving him. He's been better to me than I've been to myself. He's sticking closer than my mother and father, than my brother. He is a friend that will never let me go. He said that he would be with me. He said I'm an overcomer. He said he'd give me joy. And that's what I get. I serve him. I worship him. I bless his name because he brings joy to my heart. He brings a song to my lips. He brings a dance to my feet. He makes me, he makes me, he makes me fall in love with Jesus all over again. Woo. I dare you to look. I dare you to look at your neighbor and tell him, look, look, I, I got to praise, I got to praise, and I got to, I got to praise, I, I got to praise.
anybody has got a praise in this house this afternoon, come on, now's the time. Right now. Whatever you got to do, you let Jesus know that you're going to serve him with gladness. Come on, out of your heart right now. Let's give him some heartfelt gladness, some heartfelt joy. Let him know, come on, between you and him, Jesus, you're my handsome. joy and gladness. Hallelujah. I'm grateful to God. I'm, I'm grateful for this church. And uh, I just, you know, just worship God how you feel. We're going to wrap this service up, but uh, let's leave here and let's, let's worship God with joy and gladness this week. And uh, let's just see, see God continue to bless us. Like it says in, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, let's, let's just close with a prayer of dismissal right now. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. God, you are faithful, Lord. God, and no matter what you've done for us, God, we worship you because of who you are. God, and we worship you with joy and gladness this week, Lord. God, and we thank you, Lord, that you've chosen us, God. Lord, and that this week, Lord, we step out in what you've called us to do. God, what you've chosen us for. God, with the joy, with the smile on our face. God, with, with lightness in our feet, Jesus, to work for you, God. Lord, to give you what you more than deserve, God. 
Hallelujah, Jesus. Bless this week, God. Lord, in your precious name, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Remember your life groups this week. And I love one another. Hallelujah.